Construction Law Back to Basics series of podcasts. This series has been prepared by the construction and engineering team at Stevenson Bolton and is intended to provide listeners with an overview of the core construction law principles we think you need to be aware of throughout the key stages of any construction project. So whether you are procuring a professional team to help you deliver your project, uh, are uh, engaging with various contractors, or you are a contractor engaging with an employer, or unfortunately you've been in a situation where a problem has arisen on the construction project and you're either the subject of or thinking of bringing a claim, this series will hopefully provide you with a succinct summary of some of the practical points that should be at the forefront of your mind uh, from when the project starts uh, to its completion. My name is Gwilym Evans, I'm a Senior Associate at Stevenson Bolton and joining me today is Chris Lamb, my colleague, uh, to discuss how you can deal with any of the changes that might arise during the construction of works. Thanks Gwilym. So in today's podcast we'll be looking at a number of ways in which changes can arise during the course of a project and the means in which you can legally deal with a change to the scope of works once the contract has been entered into. We will also be briefly looking at provisional sums, as well as the impact of any changes can have on a contract with respect to entitling a contractor to additional time and money for the completion of those works. Yes, and uh, to start that conversation, Chris, I think we need to set out what we actually mean by a change and uh, how these tend to come about. So uh, in construction, it's certainly common on almost every project I've seen that not every facet of the works is fully planned and designed from the get-go. There's often decisions that need to be made as the project progresses uh, or which cannot be made at the outset because you need to see how um, certain early stages are completed to work out how you're going to finish the rest. So you may need to do the shell and core and then work out how you're going to refurbish it. But uh, in even then, even if you do have a project that you have, you know, fully scoped out from day one so you, you know all the designs are in place um i don't know you chris but i frequently come across where projects a client wants to add something or has an idea or needs to omit some of the works to save some monies um, as the project advances and uh, also i think changes come about because with the best will in the world and with all the preparation you can make there are sometimes unforeseen issues, be it the site conditions or suddenly supply chains that are disrupted, which mean that you cannot carry out the works as both parties, employer and contractor, originally intended. Um, but obviously, they both want the contract to complete, so they have to make decisions as to what they're going to do differently to achieve the same outcome or as close to an, the same outcome as is possible. And um, while we go into discussion of um, changes, uh, I just want to also add that while we'll use the word change, you might equally come across words such as variation or alteration. Um, the meaning is usually the same, but you just have to be cautious because some contracts put added emphasis or definitions on specific words. So something which is a change, capital C in one contract may be called a variation under a different type of contract for the purposes of today's conversation will will be referring to change so chris with that in mind um when a client comes to you and says there's been a change in their contract what do you take that to mean 
Uh, well, absolutely. In fact, you're absolutely right there about being on various projects. And there's always, I always find there's changes do arise in some capacity. And my natural assumption where that is the case is that it means that something has happened under the contract, which either changes the definition of what is contained in the work. So, for example, what the contractor has to deliver as part of the project, or that something has changed about how the works will be actually delivered, how it will be carried out. I would also assume that whatever has occurred is usually significant enough to change a fundamental part of the underlying project and the contract. Namely, that tends to be one of three things. That might be how it's been delivered, that could be the price of the project and the time in which it is to be completed. And that's generally my understanding of what change would be constituted under a contract. Yeah, I think it's a good point, actually, because um, simplistically, you might just say the change is, you know, the choice of a material, but actually how you undertake the works um, could be a change if it's going to have an impact on how long it takes to do. Um, so in theory, uh, I think it, it would make sense just for a hypothetical example, if we entered into an agreement, you and I, uh, and I said, please build me a house for a million pounds. Um, here's the date why I want to be in the property and I want four bedrooms, two bathrooms, and this is the plot of land you're going to build it on. And I leave everything to you. But then you start the works, you say, fine, I can do that for you, Gwilym, you, you, you get underway. And then I contact you when I say, actually, Chris, um, can you add a garage to the building? Or um, can you make sure every room has an ensuite bathroom? Um, the decision, you know, I think you'd be forgiven uh, for believing that the decision to make uh, those variations is a change to the existing contract. Um, and that you would be paid for that extra work, um, or at the very least, um, that it's potentially a brand new contract. So, if it, you know, the the adding of the garage is is a, either a variation to the existing contract or a brand new standalone contract. But you and I both know um, that those sort of decisions made throughout a project, if they're not well recorded, often lead to misunderstandings and even legal disputes between parties. So. What's your view on why that happens? Why decisions that seem to make sense uh, can lead to those disputes? Well, I think obviously the main reason for why these disputes inevitably sort of arise when it comes to changes is the fact that at the outset, when the parties enter into that contract, they agree to be bound by the terms and are fixed by them. So we were discussing your hypothetical house, as it were, mm. and, and the question about changing and variations to the, the nature of that project. Now, you've specified that you suddenly want to have these bathrooms. You've told me that you just need a certain number of them, but you've not told me what materials I'm going to use, for example. And as I'm starting to carry out the works, it suddenly becomes apparent, for example, that the materials I originally intended to use are suddenly unavailable. Now, this is going to cost me suddenly an additional £100,000 potentially to complete your project because the next set of materials is actually more expensive. But given the circumstances, I think it's fair to say that you'd want to hold me to the original sum of £1 million because that's the contract that you entered into. That's the expectation that, that I was going to fulfil the completion of these bathrooms and the fact that the materials are more expensive are something which I'm going to have to bear the burden of. But this changes, however, if the materials I'm intending to use are actually available. But it turns out you, as the employer, you've turned around to me and gone, Chris, found these really lovely tiles i want you to use those specifically on this project and i go away and i find out that those tiles are going to cost me one hundred thousand pounds more than i originally envisioned 
the question then that's going to arise, and this is the dispute that we discussed, is am I going to be able to pass those costs on to you because you insisted on using the specific material, even though I didn't tell you about the impact at the time when you raised that sort of change? Or does our handshake contract do nothing to address this? And, and if we don't reach an agreement, we're suddenly going to be arguing over who takes responsibility for this extra £100,000 that's going to have to appear somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the the other practical issue there is um, it'd be you know if we had the luxury of every time a decision had to be made of stopping everything and saying okay uh, let's work out how much this is going to cost let's decide who's going to bear that cost for the fact that we're changing the project partway through um, probably a lot of the issues wouldn't. Uh, arise but the fact is that almost no one does want to stop and spend the time to renegotiate the contract which potentially also reopens items that were previously agreed so you know you don't want to go back and revisit those previous arguments uh, every time you need to make a change to the scope of the works so even on simpler uh, construction projects you're going to have multiple processes going on on site at the same time with different elements of the works interacting with one another and having ramifications on one another if they if they uh, are changed or have to be stopped and uh, that's not even dealing with uh, the unforeseen events that can happen in, in projects such as um, you know, issues with the foundations. Yeah, exactly. And that's why any reliable construction contract should contain clauses that deal with those changes that occur during a project to remove this uncertainty. And certainly all the standard form contracts, I know that we, we, we are discussing this in light of the JCT suite, for example, uh, they all contain different levels of ways of handling this, go to differing levels of detail as to what constitutes change and how different types of changes are dealt with. So your contract can really have an impact on, on how this process is managed. Yeah, I agree. I, I think in the UK, um, generalisation here, but I think the contracts most people are familiar with are the JCT because even in situations where there are no specific contract terms because it was an oral contract, uh, often as not, contractors will be either consciously or unconsciously mimicking uh, the processes that are most familiar with them, which are the JCT processes. And even if you're using, you know, FIDICT or NEC or, or a bespoke contract, often they're discussed in terms of how they compare to the JCT. So um, at least for, for this podcast, we'll probably stick with that as, um, as our template. So using JCT as our template, um, all things being equal, what would you expect or how would you expect a change to be dealt with under a project that's using that type of contract? Well, under the standard form JCT form of contract, uh, an employer can issue instructions to a contractor requiring a change in the scope of works. But there are, however, a number of caveats where this is the case. Now, the first of these is that if such a change is to result in an alteration or modification to the design of the works that are being carried out, then the employer may not issue the instruction without contractor's consent. Secondly, even if the employer does have the contractor's consent to issue the instruction, the contractor must, within a reasonable period of time upon receiving the instruction, inform the employer if they have any objection to actually carrying out this variation or change to the works. Now, if this objection is reasonable, the employer is then subsequently required to alter the terms of their instructions to remove any objection that the contractor might have. And until such time as this has taken place, the contractor is not required in any capacity to comply with the instructions that have been given. So this is ultimately in place to prevent an employer from suddenly ambushing a contract with, with huge, sweeping, substantial changes to the works, which the contractor may not have the expertise or even the resources to actually carry out. 
But it should also be noted uh, that where a variation has been made to the scope of works, the contractor is obviously going to be entitled under an unamended JCT form of contract, of course, to submit a notice seeking an extension of time and further costs for carrying out these works. This, of course, ensures that the contractor ultimately receives the time and money necessary for it to complete this variation and this change in accordance with the employer's instructions. And uh, actually, at one point that uh, what you just said reminds me of, Chris, is that uh, it's very common nowadays for provisions in contracts that allow the contractor to make objections to variations to be curtailed or ultimately removed. So it's very common now that uh, a contractor can try and persuade uh, the employer against that course of action. But ultimately, if they're instructed to, to make uh, a change into variable works, the only option they have is to price it. And you know, if they really don't want to do it, potentially price it to such an extent that the, the employer says, well, don't do it. But um, the reality we know is that it's very difficult for a contractor to um, uh, avoid a change that an employer is insistent on making. So in addition uh, to having con contract provisions for dealing with changes to the contract, uh, I think we also need to discuss um, the use of provisional sums in contracts because that is one of the quite useful tools that are used in contracts where um, a certain element of the works may or may not go ahead or the price of those works isn't known at that time. So a bit like we've discussed with the variation and you know, all you can do is discuss a price um, as at the date the contract is formed. For those who might be wondering, uh, provisional sum is an amount uh, or price in the contract that's assigned to a particular piece of work, but that work may or may not be carried out depending on uh, the instructions of the uh, employer. Um, usually because the exact specification and price is just unknown at that particular time. So in practice, what would happen is the, um, the contractor and the employer know that there is uh, an intention, for example, to build a swimming pool, but the cost isn't known at that time. At a certain point in time, the employer will say to the contractor, and there may be provisions around when that date has to, that comes around, yes, do or do not go ahead with uh, uh building the swimming pool and at that point the um, token sum whatever that is 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 removed omitted and the new instruction will give you the precise sum that hopefully by then is ascertained for the swimming pool now there is sometimes some risks depending again on your contract terms as to whether that is um, something that the contractor would be entitled to claim loss of profit on uh, should uh, the contract be terminated or, or should the work be omitted and then given to someone else to do. But in the main, it's, it's a common practical tool that's used by parties who want to get under contract and know there are certain items which, you know, they haven't fully priced up yet, but are, are going to take part of the contract. So um, in any regards, uh, in addition to having to make sure you have workable provisions for changes in your contract, an absolute must, what, Chris, do you think are uh, other practical points that parties can take uh, that make disputes less likely to occur? Well, I feel like at the risk of stating the obvious, I think the more detail that goes into defining the scopes of work, scope of works at the outset, the more this will help you avoid arguments later as to whether something is actually a variation or not. If I had to land on one side over the other, I would take the view that this is more likely to protect the contractor than the employer, although I appreciate that this is often easier said than done, and there is often a pressure to get into contract as quickly as possible on a project. 
Now, my other key takeaway, which the construction industry probably hears all the time from lawyers like myself and you, Gwillem, is that it's really important to be clear as to who actually has design responsibility under the contract. And if it's not a single point of responsibility, to make clear who has the responsibility for what element of the works. Often a variation can come about because the design of various parts of a project have been prepared in isolation to one another. So you wanted to look at at least making there to be some sort of sufficient collaboration where they all integrate together and ensure that they work. Otherwise, if they don't work, usually a change is needed to make sure that all the different elements work together. So knowing who has the design responsibility will remove the need for a change to take place, but will prevent arguments uh, to prevent uh, will prevent arguments to who bears the cost. Is there anything else you can think of, Gwilom, in terms of practical points that might need to be picked up? Um, I think a bit like you, what you were saying there, uh, a detailed scope of work, number one, that helps avoid disputes. Uh, and the same is true of recording site meetings. That's often very relevant, especially if a dispute comes around and there are arguments as to who agreed what. If you, know, if the, um, if you don't have it clearly recorded, uh, that can be a problem. Uh, if there, I would, I'd recommend if, uh, especially uh, if there's a particular method the contractor uh, was going to use, and then the employer instructs uh, it's going to be done in a different way, those site meeting notes will help record this. I would also always seek to exclude any oral variations, uh, since this is one of the biggest sources of disputes as to what is in an agreement and uh, what is a variation. And uh, also, um, uh, the, well, what is being uh, instructed, um, so what the, by which I mean what the employer specifically tells a contractor to do, uh, that's more likely to be treated as a change. And I don't know if you come across this, Chris, Chris, the situation where the contractor takes a particular course of action and the employer lets them, doesn't say anything mm. about them. That might depend on the knowledge of the employer. And then the contractor turns around and says, well, you know, that's a change because you saw that I was doing it and you didn't tell me not to. That, I would say, is more difficult to argue is a change. But again, that's where the records help uh, push it one way or the other. Anyway, I think a lot of a lot of interesting points there and a lot of top tips of how to deal with changes, because if you if you don't have the provisions in your contract to deal with these and you don't record the agreements, then you've basically set yourself up for a potential argument uh, uh, either part way or at the end of your project. So um, but also um, uh, you can avoid those situations and have a hopefully happy contract if um, both parties know what they're doing from the outset. So thank you for tuning in today and listening to this podcast. If uh, anything we've discussed caused you to uh, uh, think of any questions or you would like any further information on anything we've discussed, please don't hesitate to get in touch with uh, myself or Chris or any of your usual Stevenson Bolton's contacts. Um, no, ab absolutely. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, first of all, we hope that you'll join us for our next podcast. I believe, Gwilym, you're going to be joined by Johnny Farrell, uh, a member of the team, where you'll be both looking at the importance of managing your construction contract correctly and the key points you can take on board uh, to ensure that you get your contract administration right, which I think is equally as important as dealing with changes and variations. There's so many different things that you need to take into account during absolutely. the course of the project. Um, and I know that I'll be tuning in and I hope you will be as well, listeners. Yep. Yeah, many issues to deal with on uh, construction. So uh, that leaves me to say thank you again for listening and wish you all a good day. Goodbye. Bye.